It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. John 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So there was two routes that Jesus could have taken his disciples. But you have, you have, if you can picture with me in your, in your imagination of your mind, you have this big giant mountain called Mount Gerizim. On the right-hand side was the Jordan River, which they were accustomed to. There were, a lot of the disciples were fishermen. They knew the way of the water. They could have gotten a boat and had easy sailing all the way up to Galilee. But on the left side of Mount Gerizim was all mountain terrain. You know, you had to look for water. It was dry. It was hot. Miserable, a lot of climbing, a lot of physical labor. And that would have been, the easy route would have been to go through the Jordan River and go up that way and then on to Galilee. The hard route would have been to go through Mount Gerizim, then through Samaria, then up to Galilee. Okay, the easy route would have taken them through what was familiar. It would have taken them through the water, the fish, the boats, people they could relate to. Um, Maybe even some they knew. The hard route would have taken them through all the, through a place that they absolutely hated. Rocks, hills, dust, climbing, people they didn't know, people they hated. So the choices were easy and familiar and hard and unfamiliar. So why did Jesus take the road less traveled? Or if you will, the hard route and not the easy route. Why did he go that way? And every time I read this, story, I would always ask myself, why did Jesus need to go through Samaria to begin with? And I get it. You know, they needed to be saved. That's, that's the obvious lesson here is they needed to be saved. But maybe he wanted to teach them a lesson. Maybe there's another reason why Jesus took his disciples the hard way to Samaria rather than the easy way. I think there's another lesson here that seemingly so often that is obvious, and it's the salvation for the Samaritans, but is Jesus teaching the disciples a new way of life? That's the not-so-obvious lesson here. One that teaches there's no racial barriers. One that teaches that there's no social barriers between us because they're going to a people that they hate. There's no political barriers between us. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus came for all, the black man, the white man, the rich man, the poor man, Republicans, Democrats, old People, young people, smart people, and dumb people. How many of you know some dumb people? I know a lot of dumb people. Right? But we're the ones that put the boundaries on other people. We're the ones who keep racism fueled in our country. We're the ones that separate the rich from the poor. Not Jesus. Jesus healed all races of people. Amen? And what I love most about the cross is it, it gives us all a level playing field. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what color of your skin is, if you got a million dollars in the bank or 50 cents, the cross levels the playing field. Amen. Amen. He journeyed Nate with poor people and rich people. We're the ones who said we should only witness to the poor people as if their financial status means that they need Jesus more than the rich people. 
it's the rich people who need Jesus, in my opinion. One thing I learned growing up poor is how to pray. I didn't know who I was praying to, but I was definitely praying for food. I was definitely praying for electricity. And that's what Jesus wanted to teach the disciples. Why do you think Jesus wanted to, to show them this lesson so much rather than tell them? I don't think it would have worked. I don't think Jesus, that if Jesus told them the lesson here about the barriers, that it would have worked. I mean, he gave us an entire book, and we still hadn't got it right. So what makes us think they would have got it right? Jesus wanted to show them. He wanted them to see the emotions in their eyes, to hear the, the joy in their, in their voice, to see the, the change in their life as they were, the gratefulness in their cry. And if we could ever learn that one principle, that Jesus came for all, our lives would definitely and never be the same. The disciples had to go through a place they, they didn't want to go. And I know that was hard on them. But it taught him a, a very, very valuable life lesson about people and barriers. And in the book of Acts, they took that same lesson and took the gospel to the Gentiles. I don't think they would have done that had they not learned the lesson in Samaria. They learned that lesson back in Samaria, but they put it to work here in the book of Acts. Sometimes we go through things in our life over here, and we don't understand it. But once we get to this point in our life then we understand it. So what we're going through over here always sets us up for what we're going to be going through over here. We have to go through places we don't like either. And more often than not, we don't appreciate what we've been through until we need to use the lessons that we learned. It's kind of like driving a car. You will never appreciate hopping in your car and driving to town unless you've had to walk to town. Then you appreciate it. You don't have to truly you don't truly appreciate your wealth until you've had nothing. Then you appreciate it. Or if you work for something. And we're the same way. My point here is the disciples followed Jesus. And he led them to a place so he could teach them. And we have to make some of those same choices every single day of our life. Are we going to follow Jesus through the valleys or just in the hilltops? I would argue that if you only want to follow Christ on the mountaintops, then when he gets down in the valleys and he's searching and doing what he does, we're going to lose sight of him. Because when you get down in the valleys, there's trails that go every which way. And if you're on the mountaintops, you can't see that. The mountaintops are just a place that we go just enough to get a touch from God. When Moses went up to the mountain, he was only up there for a short time. Then he came back down. Amen. But some of us have way too many limits on what we will or will not do to obey God. We have too many limits, too many conditions. We don't we don't want to stand out. We don't want to look weird. And because of that, we're, we're starving on the inside. We want to allow the God-given potential in us to change the outcome of our lives around us. And even though Samaria was way out of the way for the disciples, they still followed Jesus. And we're not always going to understand the routes that Jesus takes us on. But we still have to go. We still have to follow him. So where is Jesus leading you today? What is Jesus talking to you about your life? Starting a business, a ministry? Is he leading you to a, a job that you may not like? Where does he ask you to follow him? Let me say this real quick and, and I'm going to move on. So, so often I hear about your life and, and about purpose. So often I hear everybody, people saying, if I just knew my purpose, 
if I just had purpose, I would be able to serve Christ better. But your life has purpose, whether you believe it or not. Your walk in Christ has purpose, even if you don't know where you're going. Your job has purpose, even if you're underpaid. Your marriage has purpose, even if it's in a bad place. Your past has a purpose. The storms in your life have purpose. God saying no to this thing that you just absolutely had to have is for a purpose. And Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, King of Kings, was beaten for a purpose. He was nailed to a cross for a purpose, and he died a horrific death for a purpose. And that purpose was so that everyone who called on the name of Jesus will be saved. Amen. Jesus took the disciples and a little bit of purpose, and he went to Samaria. Where are you going today? I want to pick it up in verse 5 and 6. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. A Jacob's well was there. Jesus Therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. What's interesting to me is in Scripture it says that Jesus was wearied. Wearied to me is another word for being tired. They just went on a long journey. It was about a 60-mile trek through the mountains from Judea to Samaria. And I think sometimes that we forget what Hebrews 4.15 says that, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I know this scripture highlights being tempted with sin, but it also lets me know that he identifies with every area of my life. So if he got tired, maybe it's okay that I can get tired sometimes too. So what do you do when you get tired? What do you do when you get tired and weary? Sometimes we just got to sit down. Sometimes we got to turn the phones off. Sometimes we got to get off social media. And sometimes we just got to have a rest. Because lack of rest will give you a bad attitude. It will make you make bad decisions. And I've also learned a spiritual truth. And it's one I had to learn the hard way because as men, we have a, a need and a desire and a gift that we want to conquer everything that comes in front of us. But not every fight is a fight that you have to fight. Not every ministry is a ministry that you have to be involved in. So the spiritual lesson I learned is God did not call me to be busy. He called me to be effective. Amen. So let me say this and I'll move on. If you see me sitting, it's because I'm resting. I didn't quit. If I didn't answer your call right away, I'm resting. I'm not mad at you. I'll call you back. And if I don't get involved with what they think I should, you think I should be involved with, it's because I'm resting. There's no need to start a prayer chain because you think something is wrong with me, okay? <laughs> I'm just resting. Sometimes we got to rest, okay? And it happens. Verse 7 through 8. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. What I find most fascinating about the first sentence in verse 7 is that she had no idea she was about to meet Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She was just going about her business with all of her hurts and her loss and her sadness and her joys. And and then, bam, Jesus happened. You ever had a Jesus happened moment? Amen. Amen. The other part of this is what's the most amazing 
part is that Jesus was there waiting on her. And every time I read that, it just it brings me back to my place where I met Jesus. And as I reflect on my own life, Jesus was right there waiting on me. I prayed, I don't know how many times, to ask Jesus to be my Savior in the van with Charlie going back to the trailer park I lived in. And it didn't become real to me until I was in prison. I, I've already shared that before. But, and as we... She wasn't even looking for a savior. And as, as we continue on with this lesson, we're going to see that she not only found the well that gives living water, but she drank from it. Amen. So many of us have found that well of living water, but we haven't drank from it because the well of the world offers every desire you can imagine. You can eat, drink, and be merry in, in this life and, and enjoy all the pleasures, but there ain't no sign on that well that tells you the consequences of the sins that you're indulging in. And so often we just, we have this attitude, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And so often we have this attitude that we're just going to go ahead and indulge in this little bit of sin because we know God's going to forgive us. And I don't, and that's to me that we shouldn't be living that way because that, what, what happens when you do that, you just make another lap around the mountain like the Israelites did. You're never going to level up if you don't ever fight and, and overcome. You know, we always holler about being overcomers, but you can't be an overcomer if you don't ever overcome anything, right? So overcome it. There is a sign, though, on the well that says that offers living water. It's an arrow pointing straight up to heaven. Will you have eternal life if you drink from that well? Amen. And man, my advice to you, don't walk in the kitchen and tell your wife, give me a drink of water. You might be wearing it, you know. <laughs> Surprised she didn't throw the water on him. So what well are you drinking from today? Is it the well of the world? Because if you drink from the well of the world and then you get sick and you need healing, then guess what you get to have? You get to have what the world has to offer. If you drink from the well of Christ and you get sick and you need healing, guess what you get to have? You get to have what Christ has to offer. Amen? A good indication you're drinking from the well of the world is that everything you do revolves around you. That everything you say is about you. The sins you commit, you, you do so with no remorse, with no guilt. You enjoy it. You approach every person to see what they can give you instead of what you can give them. That's a good indication you're living for the, the ways of the world. A good indication that you're living for Christ Everything you do points straight to the cross, points straight to his word, his grace. You're, you're, you repent from the sins you commit, and you strive to no longer do them. You approach every person to see what you can give them, which is the gospel. So what well are you drinking from? Look, as, as men and women of Christ, our focus is not to be the person that is always in charge. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. So when you approach somebody and you're discipling somebody, your goal is to lift them up as high as you can lift them, even if they got a step on your head to get to where they need to be. Because if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a follower. And that's what we got to get. We got to get that mentality to lift everybody up. Everything we do as Christians has to be a direct path to the cross. My actions, my words, my finances, the way I drive my car, the bumper stickers I have. I mean, come on, some of you got some bumper stickers that I would be embarrassed for my daughter to read. Amen? We got to get them off. We got to represent Christ. 
what well are you drinking from today? Every single day of our lives, we have to make a decision on what well we're going to drink from. When you wake up in the morning, does, are you, do you say, oh, Lord, or do you say, good morning, Lord? One of the things I always like to say is that as Christians, when you wake up and your feet touch the floor, every demon in Brazoria County should say, oh, my God, he's awake. That's the kind of authority and power we need to be walking with. We don't have to wait for Satan to attack us before we, we don't have to be in a reaction. We can act before he attacks. In other words, if you stay prayed up and stay studied up and put it in you when you don't need it, when you need it, it's there. Amen. The more you drink from the well of this world, the less you desire the living water. The more you drink from the, well, the living water, the less you desire the water of this world. And when all you've ever known is the world, it's hard to make decisions to be like Christ. And it could also be said, the more you know about Christ, the harder it should be for us to make decisions in the world. Because we don't want it, we can't have both feet, one in and one out. We can't come and serve Christ on Sunday morning and then live like hell the rest of the week. We're just, we can't do that. You can, but we're not supposed to. Because what kind of image is that making people see of Christ? If they see you doing it up here, preaching, teaching, praising God, going on outreach, and it's okay for you to go to the the nightclubs and everything you're doing, what do you think their idea of Christ is going to be? Everything we do is a representation of the king. So what are you putting in you? More of Christ or more of the world? Because if it's more of Christ, then we should be seeing some fruit already, amen? We run around talking, Christ, Jesus is my savior, blah, blah, blah. Where's all the fruit? That's what I'm, what I'm asking. Where is the fruit? Because the Bible says you'll know them by the fruit they bear. That means also worldly people. You'll know the worldly Christians by the fruit they bear, which is none. Amen? And that's why I have, to, have always said, if you hang around somebody long enough, you'll see everything you need to see and who they really are. Or if you're just trapped for time, just go look at their Facebook or Instagram. It don't take but two minutes to figure out who somebody really is. You'll, you'll know. And you, <laughs> amen. You can change everything on the outside of you, but if you don't change anything on the inside, you're the same person in a different outfit. Amen. You can spray 10 bottles of cologne on a pig, and when the cologne wears off, what do you have? A stinking pig. It doesn't matter what you put on the outside that d- defines who you are. It's what's on the inside. And nothing changes if nothing changes. Amen? So, verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So look at the situation real quick. Jesus sent the disciples away to buy food. And that put him there by himself with this woman from Jacob's well. Okay, here she comes. And that, and that put him by himself, kind of in a vulnerable position because he is a rabbi. He's alone, and here comes this woman who was also by herself. And so we hear, here we have Jesus by himself, resting, tired, alone at the well outside the city, and then here comes this woman. Let me give you a little Bible fact. What is one thing as we as humans have experienced that Jesus never has? Shout it out. Sex. Jesus never experienced sex. So you can't tell me that unless he was married. 
So you can't tell me he wasn't, couldn't have been tempted, especially knowing everything about her, knowing all the husbands that she had, knowing the lifestyle that she lived. Do you think possibly, because he was tempted in everything we were tempted, do you think possibly the idea might have ran through his mind? You know, he could have done whatever he wanted with her at the well. Nobody would have ever known but who? God. But he didn't. And why didn't he? Why didn't Jesus act out like that? This is what I love so much about Jesus, that he knew her spiritual needs were greater than any fleshly needs or desires he might have had. Amen. And are we at that point in our walk where we can look at somebody and see their spiritual need is greater than any kind of desire or fleshly attitude or bitterness or anger that we might have? Are we at that point like Christ? He knew her spiritual need to be made whole again was greater than any physical need he may have had. He could have had his way with her. And the city of Samaria would have never heard the gospel. And you, and you think, oh, you know, that's a little extreme. You're, you're talking about crazy stuff. But it's real life. It's real stuff. Stuff that we deal with every single day. And now more than ever, I can see why Ephesians, uh, Galatians 5.22, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, why self-control is such a powerful weapon. Because it doesn't take but one time to ruin an entire ministry. I've, some of the greatest men and evangelists I've, ever, I've seen in my life have fallen by the wayside because they let that little bit come in. And it brought them down. And it brought their ministry down. And it brought their family down. And it just ruined lives, not just the lives of them, but the church they were shepherding over. And now even more so now is the women pastors I've been reading, they're doing the same thing. The spirit of sensuality is just rushing through this nation, greater and more vibrant than it ever has before. And now it's just open. It's okay to do these things. It's okay that we can have these people over here. It's okay to have these conversations as long as we don't cross the line, right? But that's where, we, that's where we make the mistake is we want to get right up to the line as a Christian and look over it, see how close we can get without actually sinning. And my, my advice, my thought is we need to get as far away from the line as we possibly can because if you did stumble, you're not, no, you're not even going to stumble. You'll err on the side of caution and you won't fall over the line if you stumble. Amen. And as, as I close out verse 8, I want to think about it this way. The disciples hadn't learned this lesson that Jesus wanted them to learn yet. And why not? Because as soon as they got there, he sent them away. He sent them away for food. And two things I want to look at. Number one, Jesus needed to be by himself when he met with her. Do you think his message, Jesus' message, would have been as powerful to this woman who he knew the lifestyle she was living, had all the disciples been there, veering at her, staring at her, because they hadn't learned that Christ came for all yet. They're still segregated. They're still separated. Do you think his, Jesus' message would have been as powerful to her? you think she would have received the message in living water? My point is, everyone has an opinion on who you should be talking to. And it's evident when Jesus, when the disciples came walking back up to Jesus, they said in their heart, what is he doing? Why is he talking to her? 
Everybody always has an opinion on what you should be doing in your life or how you should be talking, what you should be saying. But what really matters, what, what re- really matters, what matters is you got to get those, well, I call them chatterboxes. You got to get them out of your head. You got to get them out of your life. Doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. Doesn't mean you can't pray with them. But if you got somebody constantly, yak, 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 bump, 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 you've got to let them go because you can't be effective who you are if you're living off of their opinions. Amen. The only opinions that matter in in your life is God, your wife, and the ones that you have put yourself under their authority. Outside of that, it doesn't matter. And number two, which I believe even more life-changing than any words could ever say, is when the disciples returned from town with the food, what did they do? They saw Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman. They saw him breaking the racial barriers. They saw him breaking the hatred barriers between the Jews and the Samaritans. They saw him breaking the social and political barriers. And what they saw him do spoke a more powerful message to them than any words he could have said. What are people seeing you do? When we have new people come in our church and they walk in and they got big old hoops in their ears, are you talking to them? Are you shaking their hands? What if somebody walks in that you know is a homosexual? Are you talking to them? You don't have to physically say something to them because your actions can say a whole lot of words. Me and Daryl can talk for 20 minutes with just our eyes and our hand gestures. So you don't have to say anything to make somebody feel condemned or judged because your body speaks a lot of words. So that's why it was so important when the disciples came and they saw Jesus doing something that now that's okay for them to do that. What are people seeing you do on Facebook? And I know, man, it's so sad that Facebook is such a prevalent deal in our lives that we have to talk about it at the pulpit. It's just beats all I've ever seen. What are people seeing you do to your kids? What are people seeing you doing to your wife? Your actions speak louder than words. What do people see when they see you? Do they see honor? Do they see integrity? Do they see loyalty? And most importantly, do they see Christ? Or do they see anger, bitterness, slandering, deception? What about gossip? That's such an a evil, evil spirit. I would have to say that's probably one of the most worst spirit of, of evil that has ever existed is a spirit of gossip. If we could just stop all the gossip, half of the battle that we're fighting is already whooped. Amen. It's so, it, it needs to stop. In churches across America, you hear about it, people always talking about it. Anyways, let me move on before I get in trouble. So as we move on, John 4, 9, turn to your Bible, John chapter 4, verse 9. So once again, within the same chapter, what do we see? Probably should read the scripture. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Hmm. And once again, within the same chapter, we see segregation, separation, and discrimination. You know, she was taught, she wasn't there when the northern kingdom conquered the southern kingdom in 700 BC and the Jews intermarried with the Gentiles and that's how the Samaritans came. She wasn't even born. She was taught her whole life 
to hate Jews. And the Jews were taught their whole life to hate the Samaritans. And just because you've been taught something in life doesn't mean that's the way it is. It was segregation because she believes their nationalities meant they're not allowed to communicate. It was separation because her heart is prejudiced against someone else because she was taught that way. And it's discrimination because she called him a Jew and acted offended that he even spoke to her. And one thing that I've noticed far and wide, from my childhood to prison to the workforce and even in the church, racism, segregation, and discrimination is something that happens on both sides. So we need to stop pointing the finger. We need to stop saying he said, she said. And we need to remember that as Christians, that those barriers, those racial divides don't exist. Because we're all bought under the blood. Remember, the cross gave us a level playing field. And I think at the end of the day, we all have to make a choice to stop letting the, the world tell us who we should stop, should think, or how we should think, and who we should talk to. And start allowing the love of Christ Help us tear down these walls that have been built up within us. And just because your parents or grandparents taught you something doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's right. And it don't mean you have to keep believing it. We have to make our own decisions. But they have to be done through the lens of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. So if it's a gift, and I'm giving you a gift, Gabe, did you have anything to do with it? No. A gift is something that is beholden upon the giver. Amen? It is a gift, a free gift. Again, it levels us out. We, we, all have, we will all have eternal life, but where you choose to spend it is up to you. If you choose to accept a gift, you don't have to accept a gift. I could give Eric a brand new Zebco fishing pole, and I'm going to tell you, he's not going to accept it because it came from Walmart. I promise you. <laughs> I know him. You don't have to receive the gifts that people give you, which means if you don't receive the gift that God gave you, what does that mean? See, we, we get confused sometimes about eternal life. We need to get this in your mind. We are all going to have eternal life. Where you choose to spend it is up to you. Don't ever forget that. For every action, there's a reaction. For every thing you say, there's a consequence. Amen? So Jesus told the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God, she didn't know anything about eternal life. She didn't know that she needed a Savior. She didn't know that she was lost and in sin. Until when? Somebody told her. Amen? Imagine that. Somebody who has eternal life telling somebody who don't have eternal life that they need eternal life. Hmm, Didn't somebody tell you about eternal life? Somebody told me about eternal life and why I needed to be saved and why I was a sinner and how I become a Christian. So my question to you is how many people have you told about eternal life? How many people have you shared the gospel with? I've searched these scriptures for many years, and I've not found one scripture that says when you get saved, you keep that a secret and put it in your pocket and don't tell anybody. Never found it. And if you have that scripture, I would like to see it. And what Bible you're reading from. 
because it ain't in the KJV, I promise you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, one of my other favorite scriptures, going to all the, all the world, making disciples. We're supposed to share that love. We're supposed to share that joy that Christ gave us, that eternal life. We're supposed to take it to people. We got churches all across this land that's full of Christians who give lip service. They will tell you how to do it, complain when you don't do what they think you should do, leave the church when, they don't, when they're planted in because the more they talk, they don't listen. They want to leave and say, oh, I'm not getting fed anymore. I say, give me a break. I say, if you close your mouth for 10 minutes, listen to what the pastor has to say, you'll get fed. One thing I've always learned, it doesn't matter who's teaching or who's behind the pulpit, you can get something from everybody. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? So as Jesus was offering her this living water, her focus was on what he didn't have rather than what he was offering. In other words, her first reaction, like so many of us, was on the problem and not on the possibilities. What is your first reaction when you see somebody, when you come into contact with somebody that's different from you? I want to point out three things real quick. And these three things are exactly why this woman's name is not mentioned because every one of us could put our name in place of hers. Every one of us could put ourselves in her place. Number one, she didn't want to talk to Jesus because he was different than she was. How often have we looked at somebody who, who was different and not given them the time of day? I'm done. I've done that before. I've seen people that were different. I didn't want to talk to them early on in my walk. I was scared. I was nervous. I just absolutely, just some people I just didn't like. And I'm just not going to talk to them. How often have we done that? Number two, she looked at Jesus and, and pointed out the problem that he had. He didn't have anything to draw water with. And in John chapter 5, if you read John chapter 5, there was a man that Jesus came in by the pool of Bethesda. And he healed this man on the Sabbath. And, it, and the man got up and he took his his mat and he took off and what did all the, the religious people what did they say did they rejoice and praise God that he was healed no what was their first reaction it's the Sabbath you can't walk on the Sabbath give me a break rather than rejoice because a lame man of 38 years can now walk the, the Jews said it's the Sabbath you ain't allowed to do that how quick do we look at new believers and our first response is to point out what's wrong Imagine how different people would respond if we extended our hands to help and not point out the obvious. How different do you think people would respond to us if we loved them first and let God deal with their sins? And that's the problem. that We put ourselves in the place of God. Is that we want to condemn somebody, we want to nail them to the cross, and then we want them to get saved. I thank God that wasn't true for my life. You don't think somebody who's, who's, who's an alcoholic knows they're an alcoholic? You don't think that somebody who, who's got a porn addiction knows they're addicted to porn? Do you really have to point out the obvious? Did somebody point out the obvious in your life? Or did Christ cleanse you? And I think we should afford new people and new believers that we come in contact to the same reciprocation of grace. 
You think people just showed up to church on Sunday because they didn't have nothing to do? I mean, come on, man. People are coming here. They're hurting. They're hungry. They need change in their life. And they're walking through this door broken and bent and just ready on the verge of just nothingness. And a simple handshake, a simple smile, a simple, hey, brother, let me pray with you. Hey, brother, um, hey, you know what? Let me and my, my wife, let us buy you lunch this week. And just something. You don't have to give them a sermon. You don't have to quote scriptures at them. Bob got on to me in love one day, and I'll never forget this. We were on outreach, and I, and I was just like, oh, yeah, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. You got to quote this scripture and this scripture and this scripture. And Bob said, hey, you don't have to do all that. <laughs> they don't need to know all that. You can just love them. And I was like, ain't, you, ain't that the truth? You know what I'm saying? You're quoting scripture to people that don't even read the Bible, so how are they going to understand it? They need life examples. So Matthew 7, 3, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't consider the plank in your own eye? And let me give you the T.O. version, just in case if y'all don't know T.O., that's my name, Tim Olaf. Let me give you the T.O. version. Quit judging people because they sin differently than you. When we get this self-righteous attitude that we're saved and because we're saved by grace that we can now peer down our long nose at somebody else who hasn't made it to the level we're on. Then we're on a slippery slope. And number three, this woman had a a solution to Jesus' problem. He had no water pot to draw water with. She had a water pot, but she never offered it to him. How often have we seen a person with a problem or a need in our church, and we have the means to help them and just choose not to because they're different? Because they're different? Oh, they're a Republican, yeah. Or they're a Democrat, I ain't helping them. Oh, they're white. They're black, yeah. My grandpa said, I'm not allowed to do that. Oh, uh, yeah, that guy, he's gay. That stuff's contagious, you know. I mean, ain't that the attitude we carry around with us? So I'm not going to help them because I'd heard she's a lesbian, Just for the record, I just want everybody to understand that every homosexual, every gay, every homeless person, every brokenhearted, every black person, every white person that I come in contact to gets a handshake and a personal invite to sit on the front row. And I think we should all, could probably do the same thing. And as one of my friends said, (laughs) that lives on the same side of my tracks that I lived on, said, where's the love at? Where's the love at, guys? You think Jesus went all the way to Samaria? He went with a purpose, but he went with love. He went with love. I'm going to skip over to verse 28. And uh, I just want to kind of soak on that for a minute in verse 28. <clears throat> The woman then left her pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have ever did. Could this be the Christ? What I want to focus on for the remainder of the time is that pot, that pot that she carried. You know, every single day of her life, somebody accused her of something. Somebody told her what she couldn't be. Somebody told her where she couldn't go because of the lifestyle she lived. 
there was always condemnation. There's always judgment upon her. And this pot that she carried represented every bit of that. She picked it up in the morning. She went at the ninth hour to draw water because she couldn't go when the rest of them were there. Why? Because they ridiculed her. And when you ridicule people enough, they shut themselves out and they find a different route and they find different people who will accept them, even if it's a false religion. Because the nature of humans is to be loved. We want to be loved. We want to feel accepted. But it's hard to do that when somebody's always browbeating you, when somebody's always banging you over the head. Oh, you got a problem. Oh, you're an alcoholic. Oh, you know, I saw what you posted on Facebook. Somebody's always there to remind you of what you can't do. And that's who she was. That's how she was. Not just the women. I would argue that the men didn't have any problem with her. <laughs> if you knew her lifestyle, it was the women. The way they, they, they just total condemnation. And it reminds me of the woman who had the issue of blood. And she was on this hill for 12, 12 years. And everybody that walked by her knew what her sickness was. Everybody, because the people of the day, the religious rulers of the day, the laws of the Jews, means she had to, be, she had to stand out. See, they elevated the, the problem. They elevated the sin of the person or the sickness or the ailment because they wanted everybody to see it because they didn't want nobody to get around them and be unclean. Have we done that? Have we crucified people unwillingly, unwittingly, unknowingly? That they just want help? That they just want some peace in their life? That they just want to be loved? See that pot that she carried around? She carried it everywhere she went because that was her identity. That's what she identified with. And what are we carrying around today in our lives that we identify with? What kind of pot are we carrying around full of bitterness and anger or hatred or rage or even depression? Or maybe it's jealousy. What are you carrying around? Brokenness? Your heart? Failed marriage? Twice failed marriage? Maybe you're on your fourth one? What are you carrying around today? What's interesting about this woman, when she came out to the well, she had no idea she was going to meet Christ. And then when she got there, he was waiting for her. And by the time he got done talking to her, she left her water pot and she ran back to the city. And that should be an image for us that everything that we carry, all the burdens, all, everything that we come through on daily life, that what do we do with it? We do just like she did. We leave it at the foot of Christ and just move on. You see, she didn't get her ministry until she laid all that down. She was the first evangelist. So her ministry didn't come into full effect until she laid her heavy burdens down. Some of us have been carrying around these water pots our entire life because of something that happened in our childhood. Some of us have been carrying around this this brokenness of being poor because of the way we grew up. I carried that for a long time. I never thought I was ever going to amount to anything because of the way I was raised. And then some of us, we like to look at other people's water pots and, and point out the cracks, the blemishes. We're so quick, ain't we? So quick to tell somebody that you've done something wrong. You know, we listen to respond instead of listen to understand. 
And I think if we could get past that as a church, as a nation, as a whole, if we could really grasp and understand what people are, are going through and they're just coming in because they want to hold your hand, they want to love you, they want you to love on them, don't look at their water pot. They know it's broken. I just want that image to be in your head this morning as we, as we pray and as we get ready to leave. And that she was just so distraught that she left. Once she got a hold of Jesus, once she tasted that living water, the first thing she did is left everything that she was carrying at his feet. And the second thing she did is she left the well that she was drawing from. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.